is a Bulldog Radio podcast. The Ferris State Bulldogs have upset the nation's number two ranked team. Wide open. Taylor is going to take this one to the house. Touchdown Bulldogs. Hi, everybody. Welcome into the Most Valuable Sports Podcast. Brandon Work joining here live in the to-be-named-soon studio on this lovely Friday the 13th. Glad you were able to join us on this lovely Friday morning. A little cold outside, not going to lie, but being indoors, I won't lie, is very, very nice. But we got a great show in store for you. Wrapping up Thursday night slate of hoops, being able to sweep the pride on both men and women's side. We'll talk about that game, break it down, and more ahead of this upcoming weekend matchups against Parkside, as well as preview the whole Ferris State weekend slate. We'll get into a little March madness as we approach the end of January coming soon, where we get into the final stretches of conference schedules. And there's a lot of surprises that we'll bring up on some teams that are really showing out and some aren't showing out so much as well as the NFL playoffs begin this weekend. I'll make the picks and what you can expect from a lot of these games over the weekend. And then if we have time, we'll get into a midseason breakdown of the NBA slate and why the Pistons are in a tough spot. But first of all, before we get going, I'd like to thank all that make this show possible. That includes Anchor, the best podcast distributing platform out there. It's free for you to use. You can make your podcast today. Visit anchor.fm to learn more as well as Bulldog Radio. If you want to be on a podcast or have your voice heard in any format, Bulldog Radio is the place for you, especially if you're a fair state student. You can visit Bulldog Connect today, find out the details about the group, sign up, and you can get your podcast rolling soon, anytime, quick, fast, in a hurry, just like me and Joe did three years ago. And look where we are today. But can't thank enough all of those that make this show possible, including the man that normally sits across from me, Joe, out for this show today. He's labeled on the injury report as day-to-day. We wish him the best of luck he wasn't feeling well today. Joe, if you're out there listening, we all know that the show is much better with you, and we certainly can't wait to have you back in the studio as soon as possible, brother. Hope you are feeling better. Anyway, going into the Ferris State Sports Slate, we go. Thursday Night Hoops has concluded, and what a battle it was, especially on the women's side in the early 5.30 game. The Bulldogs were able to squeak out a win over the pride of Purdue Northwest. The final was 84-77, to and what was a really tight, contested game. And it really starts with a shout-out to really... Our team for obviously getting the win and the determination, but also for Purdue Northwest, the way they played, that was a different team than what shows on the records five and 12. That team played phenomenally well. And I think that really was a testament to how good the GLIAC is because that's a five and 12 team. I don't think you find a lot of five and 12 teams that good in any other conference in the country. And I think that just is a testament to how good the GLIAC is, but the Bulldogs able to get the win their 11th on the season. And it really took a lot in the fourth quarter with as far as just determination to grit it out. I think that overall, when you look at the stat sheet, uh, we shot better overall, f- all phases from the floor, field goals, three-pointers, and free throws. And I think really the last one, free throws, was the one that stepped out the most. 22 of 27 were from the line. That was huge. Chloe, I don't even believe it was 8 of 10 by herself. And she especially had a lot of looks uh, in the fourth quarter to really kind of seal that stretch when we had a lead late in the fourth. And I think really Purdue Northwest actually out-rebounded us throughout this game, which was a stat that I was not aware of until I looked at it this morning when looking over some preview stuff for the show. And I it didn't really feel like it. It felt like it was so back and forth. It was only 36 to 32 as far as the margin of the rebound totals. But I mean, it was just a really, really gritty game all the way around. And I think really what set it apart Uh, When you look especially at the stat sheet, I think definitely there's no question that just being able to shoot the basketball well and and really have that run in the fourth quarter was really the difference in this game. Went back and forth throughout the majority of it. Purdue Northwest actually had the lead at halftime. I believe it was 40 to 33 at that break before the teams went into the locker room. And Purdue, I think, had a lead of, I believe it was somewhere around 13, about halfway through that third quarter, maybe it was 11 or 13. Um, And that was really, it looked like a down moment for this team. We lost a lot of the energy and it just kind of felt like it was kind of dulling out. And it was really a, a little scary situation for, uh, because this is not a, not a game that you want to go in and kind of lose to, uh, especially with a really good Parkside team coming up on Saturday, which we'll preview that here in just a little bit. But the team, I think really, especially halfway through the third quarter and the fourth quarter, 
really flipped the switch. The energy went through the roof. There's the passion and really the determination was what set this apart. And when listening to uh, the post-game press conference um, with Coach Westendorf, you could really hear that especially. And we'll play a clip for you here in just a minute. I'm really how that grit, I think, was was really the difference maker down the stretch, and that's what ultimately got him to the win. But here's a clip from Coach Westendorp on how the team played going down the stretch and how they were able to get the victory. That was a gritty performance. You know, we talked about before the game, you know, it doesn't have to be pretty as long as you're gritty. And that's a really corny saying for a coach to say, but that's really exactly what the game turned into. We played really tough down the stretch. Our defense improved as the game went on. I wouldn't see that we were stellar the entire game, but we played with a lot more energy in that second half. And that's what I really felt like was lacking in the first half was we played a little flat-footed, but we really did a nice job of responding, bringing it. I mean, Deshauna Day had a great game out there. You know, I want to really single her out because she had that tough defensive assignment on Dash Shaw. Did a pretty good job of not fouling her. All right, they only shot two free throws there in the second half, which that was huge to our defensive side of the ball. Yeah, definitely bringing up the Shauna Day is something that uh, really stood out to me. She had a phenomenal game. She had 17 points for the Bulldogs. While she wasn't the leading scorer, just overall her defense was really a big, big thing down the stretch individually. Dash Shaw is one of the best players in the GLIAC, as Coach Westendorp mentioned, and holding her only to 19 points uh, certainly was a big, really, a really big part uh, of what kind of led this team to a victory down the stretch because they wanted the ball in her hands, and they really, our defense did a great job of keeping it out of her hands. She was held to six six of 16 shooting on the night uh, for only 19 points, but for what Dash Shaw is averaging in some of these games, that is definitely a good mark uh, overall for her, but Deshauna had 17 as well as four rebounds, three steals, three crucial steals, it felt like in the portion of the game. Goli Idoni was the leading scorer. She had 23 points in the contest, especially um, really the huge second half. I believe she scored 19 or 21 of them actually in the second half due to foul trouble early on in the first half. And she really was dominant down the stretch down low. She made it a mission one-on-one and really had just a phenomenal second half. So, I mean, really shout out to her as well as Mallory McCartney, uh, 18 points as well as 10 assists. She was really um, having a really dominant game out there. She was really, especially in the first half, a big contributor um, just based on the look she was getting. They were kind of making a little bit of different adjustments against the screen defensively, and she made all the right reads, was knocking down shots when they're going under screens and they're going over, driving to the hole and finishing with toughness. Uh, So she really had a great game. Kenzie Bowers also finished with seven assists, seven rebounds, and nine points. She was a key contributor as well as Mia Riley had nine off the bench. She was a perfect five for five from the line. Uh, and really, you just saw all of these players really have dominant nights overall, especially uh, the bench contributors. My, they might not have had as many uh, statistical uh, representation when you look back at this game, but they were just as crucial, especially with the defense. You don't see that much in statistics wise uh, how great some of these teams play defensively, um, but they certainly did five steals and five blocks for this team as opposed to the pride only had three and two respectively. That can show you the difference that they made defensively. And a lot of those came in that second half when they they were down. They were able to put the put the pedal back on and really just come through at the very end, be very gritty, do whatever it takes, and they got the W. As they always say, the sloppy W always beats the clean loss any day, and that certainly represented uh, for this team, especially um, for how well they played down the stretch. And really, you want to see that going forward the rest of the season, especially uh, coming up this weekend against a really good Wisconsin Parkside team that are ready to make some noise in the standings. But as we look over here to the women's basketball scoreboard, um, it's, I would love to have Joe read these off for you, but obviously this will be in memorandum of him. No, I'm just kidding. He'll be back sooner and later, and we can't wait to have him back as well. In uh, From Thursday's games, a final from Davenport. The Panthers fall to the Cardinals, 62-46 to over there in Caledonia as well as we got the win 84-77 against Purdue Northwest. Parkside came off a big win at the Sioux over Lake Superior State, 86-70 the final in that game, uh, as well as Grand Valley uh, holds it down in Allendale. They win 81-44 over Wayne State in that battle. So right now, after that one loss for Grand Valley, they've gotten back on track right now in the standings uh, and remain at the top at the moment uh, with a perfect 6-0 conference record only. Uh, ahead of Michigan Tech and Northern Michigan at five and one, Parkside right there at five and two, along with us at four and two. Um, despite us having an overall better record at eleven and four, as opposed to the Rangers nine and seven, um, followed by Saginaw Valley, Wayne State, Lake Superior, 
at Purdue Northwest and Davenport all sitting at 500 or worse so far in conference play. But as we mentioned, that was the second worst team in the conference, what the numbers say. Uh, and that team gave us a lot of fits. That just shows you how good the GLIAC is uh, across the board uh, for how well these teams played. On over to the nightcap game we go. Ferris State men's basketball picking up the victory over Purdue Northwest 75-55. to uh, Really a game that probably there was a, quite a few fans that came out, which was kind of nice. We need to I've obviously get uh, more so we can pack Winky every single night. Uh, but we're certainly one of the biggest things I think that came to my mind watching this game. I know kind of Joe would definitely say the same thing was really when it comes down to how well this team shoots the basketball it really makes it tough for anybody to beat us until we don't shoot very well. And then it becomes a little bit of a vulnerability. But what that team showed last night was they can do it multiple dimensions. And it really shows, I think, not not necessarily myself and all the others that know around this team that know that this team can be uh, just as good without some of the three-point shooting, which obviously that's a huge benefit and definitely uh, shows why they're one of the best shooting teams in the country when they are just clicking on all cylinders. But they can still win even if they don't shoot their best that night. And that's what really good teams do is they know how to adapt to the game. They know exactly what to do to win that game. And they go out and execute with the best efficiency and play as possible. But Purdue Northwest hit a lot of big shots. Shots, especially going uh, throughout that first half, they kept it pretty close. It was only 34 to 27 going into halftime, uh, but we were able to extend that lead going out into uh, the second frame, especially with a dominant 41 points in that second half. It definitely felt like the lid came off the basket for a little bit there. But when you just look at the numbers 26% three point shooting for what was the number one shooting team in the nation for three-point percentage. I'm sure that it's probably close to, if not especially top three for how well this team is still shooting on their off nights, that it didn't feel like necessarily the game was as dominant. But when you look at how that team played, especially on the boards, was absolutely dominant. And certainly how that game went and just kind of regressed, it certainly was the offense, especially starting of the game, definitely was uh, a lot better. And then it kind of got subtly worse throughout the second half, uh, or not the second half, I should say the second portion of the first half towards the end near halftime. It got a little slower. Um, but how that team really battled on the boards as well as getting loose balls, just being scrappy enough. And it kind of goes with how the women's game went as well for them in the second half. But uh, when they asked Coach Brockema uh, in the post game, they definitely pointed that out, especially for how that portion of the game was crucial to their victory. Take a listen. Yeah, you know, that's something that we that we want to try to do, you know, is attack the glass and have that mentality. And tonight we did it. So proud of these guys. You know, Kel getting to double digits and Reese and Solo almost there themselves. So, um, you know, that's, that's a big thing. And when you, when you don't shoot very well in the second half, we're a little better. But you get those second chance opportunities or you, you draw some fouls, get to the free throw line, you know, you can, you can manage it. Yeah, 51 to 26, the rebound margin was. That's almost double what the Pride had in that basketball game. And as you mentioned in the interview, uh, Coach Broncoma, six points for Michael Bingham, but 10 rebounds. That was absolutely crucial for him. Uh, Salman Aregbu was the leading scorer with 23 points, as well as nine boards for the Dogs. Um, and Reese Hazleton was also great off the bench with eight boards with five points. Um, and definitely you saw a lot of great plays well from Ben Davidson. He was five of 10 from the field for 14 points. Vas Grazulis had a great night, an underrated night, especially when you consider how that game flow went. 13 points as well as five boards on five of eight shooting. He was very efficient, uh, as well as perfect from the stripe. Delapo Olinka, good to see him back in action. He got 16 minutes in his first game back since his injury. Uh, he registered five boards as well as three points. Amari Lee had seven assists in the game with six points. Uh, shout out to him and Jimmy for coming on the show. If you haven't checked that out in the feed below, it was a great interview we had with those guys and how their role is to take uh, roles on this team as well as be those captains and leaders to distribute the basketball certainly a great conversation um, with him that you can check out um, and certainly if you want to hear more of the post-game interviews go to the Ferris Athletics YouTube page where you can find all of that content related to the Bulldogs sports and more um, throughout the seasons of the whole school year uh, but definitely a great win overall for the dogs going now um, to take on a Parkside team at home, sitting at 12 and five, three and three in the GLIAC. I know it's a little bit of a sore eye look when you look 
uh, how this team has played in the past and for how a lot of these players um, are still a little upset about a couple games they lost, but they've certainly really turned it around with some great play, especially last night. Uh, and just being able to grit out that win is going to be huge. And uh, a good Parkside team uh, coming to town here on Saturday are going to need all the help we can get. Those games, the women's, I believe, will start at 1 o'clock um, for that game as well as the men's will conclude the weekend at 3 o'clock uh, against the Rangers. going to be a really good matchup here, especially for how well uh, Parkside has been playing this year in the conference, which speaking of that, we'll get to the GLIAC scoreboard here from Thursday. Uh, they ended up getting the win over the Lakers. That is the Rangers of Parkside, 78-64 to 64 up in the Sioux, as well as the Cardinals, who have played pretty well this year, 77-65 to 65 over Davenport, uh, and then Wayne State picking up a win over Grand Valley State, 72-63, and Allendale, the final score in that one, um, which that makes a little bit of an interesting uh, dynamic now in the standings. Park, Parkside still on top at 6-1, and 12-4 overall. They're the top team in the GLIAC as of now. Northern Michigan right behind 5-1 and one in conference play, 13-3 overall. Then you have Saginaw and Lake State sitting at four and two, despite their not so great overall records, nine and seven and five and nine, even for Lake Superior, um, is followed by us and Wayne State uh, with three and three conference records, Grand Valley, Purdue Northwest, and then Davenport and Michigan Tech, the respectives at the bottom. But for both of these teams, men's and women's speaking for those wins, definitely not only propels you into the standings, but certainly brings you that confidence going in against a really tough opponent this weekend uh, and picking up those wins on the road or excuse me, at home will be a huge catalyst before they both go on road trips here coming up soon, like we mentioned on the last episode. But great wins overall. They'll be taking on Parkside this weekend. You can still get your tickets. Visit FerrisStateBulldogs.com for more. Anyway, moving now over into hockey that is going to be taking place this weekend, starting tonight on Friday. If you're a first-day listener, we appreciate you. As well as on Saturday against Lake Superior State, the Lakers are going to be going and hosting the dogs up in the suit. Should be a really good game, I think, for the Bulldogs. I think this is a really perfect, I guess, not perfect case scenario. Obviously, you'd love to be starting off at home on the home ice where you've been training over the last couple weeks of break, uh, but definitely facing off against Lake State, as we mentioned, uh, is a perfect opportunity to gear up for these tough games coming up at home against Tech and Minnesota State coming up this weekend. So it's definitely going to be a little bit of a tough battle. Lake State, obviously, when you look at the numbers, not the best team uh, in the CCHA, one of the worst but they're certainly going to bring as much energy as they can because they know in years past that they've been able to beat us when they're not supposed to and and they're going to be ready to face us on home ice but I think definitely when you've seen the past play of the Bulldog team especially in the GLI you see so much potential just got to see the consistency right we're able to split with any team in the country and even sweep any team in the country as we did in Minnesota State but just being able to come back and just get those sweeps that you need to right the St. Thomas game earlier this year at home and even on the road and when you had uh, a prime opportunity against a a Bowling Green team uh, that you could have beaten twice that those are the ones that you just you want you know if you can beat those top teams that you can sweep some of these lower teams and those are certainly going to be games that you're going to want to get down the stretch and it starts with Lake Superior State right and as much as it's crazy to me that this stat line just keeps sticking out to me it's quality over quantity especially offensively and you saw that against Michigan State they had eight less shots against Michigan State where they won 4-2 as opposed to Western Michigan which was eight an 8-2 to two loss so I, I mean that just shows you how well you can get good looks and it doesn't matter necessarily the quantity that you throw on net. And I think that just kind of really shows this team because there's some times where you feel like they rush it just a little bit, but when they're controlled, when they're methodical, when they're in their offensive zone enough, that's just as important. This defense is playing really, really well this year. The problem is there's been a lot of these top tier offenses like Western Michigan on December 28th, especially Minnesota State when we were at Mankato earlier this year, Northern Michigan at home, where the defense was playing very well, but just spent too much time. And that's just really taxing when you're in your own end and you're on the penalty kill for three, four times a game. And that's just a tough thing to go into 
uh, with your backs against the wall a little bit. But overall, the power play has been much better um, overall throughout a lot of these home games. Can we take that on the road? That's going to be the crucial portion uh, that we need to start to see a little bit more improvement on the second half. We kind of finished a little bit on the down streak when it comes to the power play uh, as of the last games before the break. But the penalty kill uh, has been a little bit better. And I think that certainly can translate over into Lake State, who's not necessarily as powerful of an offensive team uh, as you see with some of the other teams I mentioned. But Overall, I mean, Mitch Dielstra has been playing really well. Noah Giesbrecht, we'll see if he plays uh, the Friday or the Saturday game this weekend. has been really good in, in that. Uh, Logan just in a little bit of slump, but he'll obviously get back on track, and then we'll have the dynamic duo back in full swing. But a lot of these other guys certainly will have a prime opportunities um, to really put together some good performances this weekend. Just need six, guys. Just need six. That's going to be crucial, uh, especially considering some of the tough games on slate. You can get six here. Huge confidence booster, especially getting wins on the road and then you're going to be coming home in front of faithful and these games are just as important to the fans too they're watching these games not necessarily they're tuning in on full hockey tv which you certainly can at full hockey tv um to watch all these games but they're looking at the scores they're seeing the record oh oh okay they're they're just above not uh, 500 they're starting to be a little bit better and the higher those win totals go up, the more fans that will show up. I know me and Joe talked about this before the break. We need more fans for this team because they have been playing very well. And it just might not show with the 9-9 record, but you have seen how well this team can play in front of your eyes. And I know there's a lot of people out there that are still looking for games from last year. Oh, they'll blow it away. It's like, no, this is a different team. And we could continue talking about this for so long. Uh, but the prime play of a lot of these guys, I mean, Brad Merrick, especially the hometown kids, been playing really well this year. Mitch Dielstra has been on a tear the last four or five games. Um, as well as a lot of other great players. Andy Noel, as a freshman, has been playing really substantial minutes uh, on the ice at the defensive spot. Uh, and really, when you look at all these look at all these games that they've had recently, they've they've shown that they can play with a lot of these top teams. We saw it at the GLI beating a number eleven Michigan State team, and really with Western Michigan, you look at the final score, and obviously. Uh, it do- looks a little daunting, but Western Michigan A was just absolutely in fuego from that series. But we were only down two to one at the break. We were hanging with them. Uh, got a little out of hand in the second, especially with some penalties. Uh, but overall, we still were playing with that team. And that's another top team that will be in the top 10 very soon. So those are the games that we need to use as those process that we talked about. You know, put that together, put good, put some good hockey on the ice for 60 minutes, be consistent. That was the message that Brad Merrick in his latest media session was talking about. Every line has to produce. Take a listen. Like four lines producing all the time, uh, whether it be getting in, getting being heavy. Uh, a lot of emphasis lately on two guys getting in hard, um, you know, supporting supporting your teammates and producing offense. But we got to be good in our D zone as well. That's where uh, the offense starts. Being able to have both dimensions is what makes this team great. Defense turns into offense. And just as we mentioned, getting that ability to get yourself out of the defensive zone in the offensive zone to get our elite talented scorers the punk and grain opportunities. Not necessarily saying you got to throw them all on net, but get those quality looks, spend time in our zone to get the right look. And when we do so, we're one of the effective scorers in the entire country statistically. And we're going to be rooting for you boys. We can't wait to see. Hopefully you guys get six up in the Sioux. Friday's game, 7.07 puck drop, as well as Saturday followed up at 6.07. You can follow along at Full Hockey TV for the live broadcast with Harrison Watt as well as Sunny 97.3, as well as on the live stats on FerrisStateBulldogs.com. Finally, finishing out the Ferris State Sports Preview track and field will be in action this weekend indoors at Grand Valley for the Bob Eubanks Open. Super exciting. The first of the new year and the first of the season for a lot, especially of the distance crew that were competing cross country late this season for the festival championship year. But certainly going to be a great meet on deck. Got to look at a lot of the schedule as far as entries, and there's going to be a lot of good quality uh, opponents at this race this weekend. I know, especially in the distance event, there's going to be a lot of opportunity to show up and show out. And it's super exciting for all of us. We're riding some pretty good confidence coming from a really good cross-country season, as well as uh, a lot of promise shown from a lot of the track and field crew um, from the holiday open before the end of 2022. And hopefully that confidence will go through. And some other people also not able to compete as of yet 
um, that were uh, not racing necessarily or competing from the Holiday Open that we have their first um, outside of cross country. So it's an exciting meet for everybody to get their really uh, their first crack at indoor this year, and especially against some quality opponents, as I mentioned earlier. Um, and especially just getting used to indoors definitely takes a lot more time. I think a lot of people uh, believe it is. It's a lot different of a kind of race. It's a lot different as far um, as physique, as far as oxygen and airflow is concerned. You're indoors as opposed to outdoors. It's little, it takes a little bit of an adjustment, uh, especially with being in a different distance. A lot of these shorter races and fast races as opposed to the longer endurance races across country. Um, and especially for track and field, just going from that practice uh, mentality in that practice venue uh, and applying it to a meet venue with a crowd with a lot of people watching uh, and that sort of thing always takes a long time as well. Um, but a lot of great, a lot of great opponents going to be um, there this weekend and a lot of great meets. It's always ran pretty smoothly at Grand Valley and we look forward to hopefully that will be the same. Uh, running events beginning at 2.15 this weekend with the 60 meter hurdle prelims. Uh, that'll be followed up by the 60 meter prelims, the mile, the 400, the 60 meter hurdles, the 60 meter dash, as well as the 600, 800, 200, 3K and the 4x4 four four to end it at 5.30, which also, by the way, you may now watch the meet online thanks to the partnership with Flow Sports. All Bulldog fans can watch this meet with the Flow Sports account. You can find it on your Roku TV as well as on the Flow Sports app or on the website as well, flowsports.com. So definitely tune in. I would definitely recommend tuning in. There's going to be a lot of great performances this weekend. Looking as far as the heat sheets and a lot of these already scheduled uh, races. There's going to be a lot of top tier dogs and some top tier races, and it's going to be a really good start to the season, um, especially against some quality opponents. Of course, with the Lakers, uh, as well as Davenport, I believe will be there as well as Cornerstone Aquinas, a lot of those good Grand Rapids programs, um, as well as a couple others, even a D1 school, I believe um, from the Big Ten might be making an appearance there. So that certainly is going to bring uh, a lot of emphasis to this meet as well with the throwing events and field events all beginning at two o'clock. That's starting with, uh, with high jump as well as weight throw and shot put as well as long jump and pole vault to follow later on uh, throughout the meet. So certainly looking forward to a lot of the great results that are about to take place for this team. I can tell you once I know we talked about on the last episode um, before the end of the year for the final recap uh, of 2022 in our first episode of 2023, this team has a lot of potential and I know I'm biased. Sure. I understand that, but I think everybody can understand that around when you look at years past and when you look at a lot of the, especially with the cross country perspective, these teams, both men's and women's are getting a lot better. And it's certainly starting to come in fruition for how great these teams have gotten and how much work they've put in, especially in the off seasons and during the season as well, where you get that best quality work with your teammates, especially in the grind. And we, I mean, both teams have been putting in a lot of the work, man. And track and field has done the same thing as far as all the field events and sprinters and jumpers and throwers. They've been putting in the work too. And it's definitely starting to come. You can start to see the building process, which really made, puts a smile on my face uh, for getting this program back on track. And it all starts this weekend with some great performances. As mentioned, tune in on Full Sports. Watch how great uh, our indoor track and field teams do. And you will see for yourself that that certainly is going to be a great season up ahead going into outdoor um, as well as all these other teams with basketball and hockey starting to make their turn for the second half of the season, hopefully make it even better than the first. Well, that's the Fair State Sports Report. We'll take a quick break when we come back. March Madness, NBA and NFL playoffs on deck. We'll make the picks and then break them down right here on the MBSP. The MBSP is proud to partner with the people of Eagle Village Incorporated. With over 50 years of experience helping on changing the lives of youth, there are opportunities for you to be the next to make a direct impact, including plenty of positions available, including summer staff, internships, and more. For more information, visit eaglevillage.org. Eagle Village, where potential source. Second half of the show, here we go, starting off with college basketball, and it's certainly been a wild start to the season and a lot of upsets as usual, but definitely some interesting upsets is more as opposed to years past where there's a lot more that you can kind of predict. It's been a little bit of an unpredictable kind of start to college hoops and certainly a lot of twists and turns, especially at the top of the tables. A lot of changes in the number one overall ranked team right now sitting at the number one spot is the Houston Cougars, believe it or not, at 16-1 and one to start the season, followed by Kansas, Purdue, Alabama, Tennessee uh, to round out the top five. Some notable teams right now in the top 25. There's not too many from around this area. Uh, we're probably the only one that is probably the most eye-popping 
um, outside of Purdue, as far as this local area, is Wisconsin right now sitting at 18 on the men's side. Um, and certainly want to see some other teams in there like Michigan, Michigan State. Neither of them ranked as of now, um, as well as like teams like Indiana, Ohio State have certainly started uh, to crumble just a little bit so far in the season, falling out of the top rankings as well. Uh, but when you look necessarily at how uh, a lot of these teams have been playing, you look at a lot of these talented teams that you know uh, have some really good coaching and a lot of great talent as far as just on the roster overall, like Kansas has always won under Bill Self, um, with Jalen Wilson having a really solid season overall for the Jayhawks, as well as Kevin McCuller has provided a lot of spark for them, especially. Um, and really, when you look at a lot of these other teams, a lot of great shooting teams, but just being able to do it on both dimensions. Houston has always been a dominant defensive program. They've really showed that so far this season that they can score offensively too. And being a lot of those games, Purdue has, I mean, Zach Eady, who's borderline already almost a lock for national player of the year for how well he's been playing right now for the Boilermakers, um, as well as Alabama, who I believe is rated right now better in basketball than they are football. I'm just kidding, but I just wanted an excuse to use that button. But they've played really well so far in this season. Let us know if you like the sound effects also, by the way. This is in a, starting to work out some things where we have a lot more resources than we got to have. And you guys are certainly the proponent of that. So thank you all for making this show as great as it is. But uh, Brandon Miller, Noah Clowney have been playing really well for the Crimson Tide, as well as Jaden Bradley, um, who's been running the show for them. They've definitely been a much needed, a uh, little bit of a surprise team because you always knew they were really good, but... A lot of people are just kind of, yeah, they're, it, was, it was that perception of they're a basketball school. They're not necessarily as good of a basketball program. And going into last year, I believe they're the number, uh, what was it, this last year or two years ago uh, in the NCAA tournament, they were the number three seed. They were the most voted off three seed in the overall first round and second round of a lot of brackets as far as being an upset. And they were certainly a team that were really good going into that year. Tennessee has been playing really well. What a year the volunteers have had with their with their athletic programs overall. That's been really stellar to see. Um, as well as a lot of these other illustrious basketball programs as Gonzaga, as well as UConn and Virginia and all these other schools were starting to play better again. Duke is starting to pick it up just a little bit right now. They're at 24 in the standings, but they'll certainly uh, start making their way back up. Baylor falling out of the top 25 was huge, but everybody knows that Baylor is a top 25 team. They had 93 received votes um, for the top 25, and they're the next team back in, uh, assuming one of those other teams like even like Charleston or Marquette or any of those teams uh, find a way to lose here later on this week, but certainly a lot of mix up in the rankings so far, and especially when you look in the Big Ten right now, not necessarily the lineup that we were probably expecting uh, when it comes to the standings is overall in the Big Ten. And when you look at it, and it's already throughout um, the first month, month and a half, two months of the season, uh, you could start to figure out that things were going to be a little bit different. When you look at it right now in the conference, uh, Purdue leads the way as well as Michigan State at four and one, both those teams playing very well. Uh, right now, Wisconsin, uh, as well as Northwestern, Rutgers at four and two. They're sitting at three accidentally um, masked over them the first time. But then you have Michigan, uh, Penn State overall, Michigan three and two, as well as Penn State three and three, Iowa three and three, who knocked off Michigan actually last night in overtime. Uh, in a big game there, as well as Maryland, Illinois, Ohio State. Haven't had the best luck overall uh, in conference play, but still sitting uh, in just about that. Could be in, uh, probably maybe not last team in, but definitely securing a 9 or a 10 seed as far as uh, overall bracket projections go um, throughout this year. There could be 9 to 10 Big Ten teams that make it. It's it's certainly looking that way right now uh, for how well a lot of these teams have been playing so far in the Big Ten, as well as the ACC's kind of gotten back on track for how well their basketball programs are going um, despite the little bit of slip-ups here when you see from a lot of these other good programs like North Carolina especially um, and you know we look at some other ones like Louisville that have been a little bit on the up and up uh, as far as trying to get there but not quite there yet but a lot of good teams also from the SEC that have been picking up. Big 12's always been good. Um, you see a lot of those teams there that have been playing really well. Kansas, Kansas State, Iowa State, Texas, TCU, Baylor will make it, I'm sure, uh, later on. West Virginia's had a slow start in the Big 12, but they'll probably get it back on track. Uh, Oklahoma State is still in the Kate Cunningham loss effect. Uh, probably, I'm not sure exactly, but um, but you see some other great conferences that might be slept on a little bit. The Pac-12 might be one of them, which obviously two of those teams that have been playing really well will be future, uh, you know, Big Ten teams with USC and UCLA. Uh, but then you also got Arizona. You got Arizona State that's been playing really well. Oregon is starting to kind of climb their way back up despite a really slow start. Uh, but you see a lot of these other great teams. I mean, really, the SEC looks like the team that 
really can make a lot of noise. And it looks like the conference that can do a lot of great things. You have a Kentucky team that's at 10 and 6 that a lot of teams have already said they don't want to play. And because they're that good, but they're one and three over on the SEC and 10 and six. And you got all these other 12 win teams. You got Missouri, you got Auburn, you got Tennessee and Alabama top five teams. Arizona, or excuse me, Arkansas right now at 12 and four, one and three for really how well their program's been put together. Um, you can see a lot of the success going there. Um, especially it just really, you see a lot of these other programs that have been really climbing their way up and now they're establishing themselves, uh, in for these, these tournaments year after year. And when you look at Arkansas, their only losses so far have been against the number four Alabama team on the road, um, against Auburn and then against a really tough LSU team. That's also, I believe at double digit wins on the season so far. So you have a really deep SEC conference as well um, that can make a lot of noise. And when you look as far as uh, March Madness predictions and bracket predictions already, kind of where we're at um, throughout all pretty much through the halfway point of January, uh, you definitely see a lot of these potential teams that can make some noise, especially from the top spots. It kind of looks a little bit more top heavy than uh, you would see necessarily on normal uh, years where it might be a little bit more spread out. But this was the the bracket predictions as of a month ago for Mandy Katz. We'll go over the the most recent ones um, in comparison here in just a minute. But the number one seeds, Houston, Virginia, Purdue, and UConn. Virginia and UConn are not in the top five, so they're already out of the one seed consideration um, so far in comparison to this bracket. Maryland, the Terrapins were in the were in a number two seeded spot, as well as Texas, Kansas, and Tennessee. All three of those teams kind of around the same mark, but Maryland has went all the way down. Uh, and Indiana was a three seed at one point. They're not even in the top twenty five anymore, as well as these other teams like Alabama and Duke that have kind of uh, been playing right now opposite as of recently. Duke started out a little more hot. Now they're kind of cooling off. Alabama's been doing the opposite. They're red hot right now in the top 25 or top five, I should say in the top 25. Then you have Baylor who is a four seed. They've fallen all the way out. Creighton has been slipping up. They were a six seed at one point. Uh, but you have a lot of these other teams that have been kind of slipping a little bit. But as far as when you look at a lot of the latest top 25s, you can kind of make that comparison. Uh, but when you look necessarily um, at the most recent one, got to take a look at Andy Katz's uh, bracket predictions of 2023 as of late. He's now kind of re-put it down. Now he's got Houston, Alabama, Kansas, Purdue, which if you necessarily have a, um, which I saw this the other day, Baylor potentially playing Purdue in a 1-8 matchup, potentially in the in the NCAA tournament. Wow. Yeah, Baylor is the most underrated eight team I've ever been. And I might be biased because I picked them one year and they got me uh, a win in my bracket pool. But I still love the way that Scott Drew handles that program and how they play. But you have all these other teams that have been playing very good basketball and that can play spoiler, but and can also lose to an unranked team uh, over in the next couple of weeks, like Indiana. You got Illinois in a lot of these games in the Big Ten. You got all these other really good teams that can necessarily make their way back up. North Carolina could end up being a five, a four, even a three seed by the end of the year, despite their slow start. You got Kentucky potentially going to have to play in as a 10 or 11 seed, and that's going to make this in this tournament really interesting. But when I necessarily look around at a lot of these teams, um, the ones that can obviously make some noise, um, not necessarily the top dogs like Purdue or Kansas or Houston or some of those teams, but some of the other really good teams that I think can make some noise are the Razorbacks. I think really the way that Arkansas has played the last couple of years, they can show you that they can win the games offensively and defensively. They're multi-dimensional basketball team. Maybe not necessarily as they were in years past, but they're still 12 and four on the season. Uh, and Eric Musselman's done a really good job with that program for how they've put it together. Uh, and really the spread of wealth has been really, they have five guys that can score the basketball on the floor at all the time. And they have guys that can create steals, create blocks, create turnovers, five guys at a time all on the floor. There's no dominant players with those teams. So those definitely can be uh, one of the teams that I could watch another team as much. I hate to say it. Michigan State could be a team that can make some noise this year. And you well see how well Tyson Walker has been playing. You see now that they have Malik Hall back. He brings a whole other dimension to that Spartan team. Uh, and just overall, the experience of Tom Izzo can really bring you some big time advantages in March. And as much as it's crazy to say that, yes, they did they lose to Middle Tennessee State one year? Yeah, so what? They're still a really good basketball team. Uh, but you still have a lot of those great players that can get you into the tournament. You see all of these Cinderella stories of these players. Max Bramas from Oral Roberts last year. He willingly 
got Oral Robertson in the Sweet 16 last year. He was really kind of putting the team on his shoulders, not necessarily saying his teammates didn't contribute or anything, but he was the prime reason why that team got into the tournament last year. So you have a lot of these teams that can figure it out with their individual talent, and I think Michigan State could be that team to do that, if, whether it's Malik Hall, whether it's Tyson Walker, whether it's Joey Hauser. Those guys can ball, and they can show you that they can play. And, and necessarily... In retrospect, I know a lot of people are probably wondering uh, me and Joe's thoughts about this. Michigan, I think, is still a tournament team. I know they still haven't been playing their best, and Juwan Howard uh, is still trying to figure out the best uh, method of process for making this a championship-caliber team. Uh, They've lost a couple really bad games down the stretch, but uh, I think necessarily that if he looks in the mirror, gets himself right with his game plan and how he wants to get this team back together and the the guys start playing better basketball. I think they'll find their way in the tournament, um, especially if they have a really good uh, Big Ten tournament and finish out the rest of the second half of the conference slate. But uh, I think we'll go with one more team here from this Baylor or from this uh, this bubble list. No, it is not Baylor. I just read Baylor's uh, bio on my screen, and obviously super excited to see um, if they'll climb back up, considering how well they've played. But another team that I can see that could necessarily make a really good run this year that may not be a top two. Uh, or a top three seed, for example, I think could be Virginia. I really do think so. I think Virginia, uh, for what they have done in the tournament, I think always gets written off. I think they're a team that really isn't necessarily the most talented team on paper. Yeah, we get it. I mean, Coach Bennett is phenomenal in what he's done with that program to really bring um, how well they've been able to bounce back in a lot of these years past, especially in some really tough games. But for really how well you saw, um, especially in that North Carolina game, this team wins gritty games. 65-58, the final score was in that game against the Tar Heels. That is a gritty win. And when you see how well this team, especially losing to UMBC, we all know the 16-1 upset that's going to be remembered in the rest of history in record books for the rest of time. But the next year, they won the national tournament. They threw that all the way and made it all the way the rest next year. I think they could be a team that makes some noise right now. They're sitting at a four or a five seed in varying of bracket predictions and uh, all this other stuff. But when you got guys that can fill it up, Ben Vanderplas had a really good night against North Carolina. He could be a really good player for them. Um, I think you have a lot of talent on these teams. And while Reese Beekman could be a guy that can bring you a lot of great minutes um, for them up top. So I think he's a really good ball distributor. I think he can make that offense work. But as far as the defensive prowess that Virginia can show, I think that really makes them a tough team to beat. And I know we say that every year, but this team definitely, they're showing that they don't have to play their best to win these games. They only shot 57% from the line, and they could have definitely ended that game against North Carolina a lot sooner if they would have made their more of their free throws. Uh, but I think when you look at it, they don't turn the ball over and they turn opponents over. That's going to get you these possessions. You get that talent really solidified within the system, and you can get that efficiency offensively, moving the basketball, slowing the game down, which Virginia loves to do. Then that brings really puts the ball in your court, especially against a lot of these good teams. And I think they could be a team that can make some noise. Obviously, we'll cover this as more. We'll get Joe's picks as well uh, coming up next week to see what he has in mind. We'll obviously cover uh, March Madness the more we go uh, here going through the rest of January into late February before we get into the madness that is known as March. Anyway, moving over now, we go over into the NBA. We haven't talked about that in a while. Figured bring it up on the show here on this Friday. Um, just a little bit of an update as far as where a lot of these teams are at for those NBA fanatics out there. Uh, certainly has been Boston's world right now in the Eastern Conference, but not necessarily as dominant as elite as it may seem. They are up three games on Brooklyn right now, but the Nets have really turned themselves around so far. Uh, Obviously, the loss of Kevin Durant could make it very interesting to see how this team really bounces back. Um, They're going to be able to really get themselves back on track. If Kyrie can have a really good outing um, as well as really just kind of get a lot of those players, um, that a lot of those dynamic scorers, uh, the opportunity to, to fill it a little bit because they're they're a really good talented team across the board. You got a lot of great players on that squad that can score it. Um, I mean, you just look at Seth Curry, who we know can shoot the basketball very well. Um, you got a lot of young players that haven't played as necessarily as many minutes, but that can still really bring a big impact like Cam Thomas, Kessler Edwards. Um, but you have still a really good opportunity. You got Ben Simmons, of course. You got Nick Claxton, who's been playing a lot better as of recently. You have Markeith Moore who's a really good role player for that team. So I think Brooklyn can still be a team. They might slip up in the standings. They might become third or fourth by the time or fifth, even by KD when he comes back for how tight this conference has been. 
Um, but when KD comes back, he could be an MVP candidate for right now, how well he's playing. He's averaging better numbers than he did uh, pre-Achilles tear. I think that just shows you how well this guy is at basketball. He's played phenomenal and deserves more respect around the league. But uh, Giannis and the Bucks sitting at three right now, 27-15 and 15 overall, and just a half game behind the Nets, as well as the Cleveland Cavaliers. How about the Cavs? Donovan Mitchell, that crew have played phenomenal basketball this year. Kevin Love is still contributing at a great level for them. Jared Allen's been great. Uh, Darius Garland has been great in the backcourt. Karis LeVert as well, uh, for when he's on the floor, really contributes very well for this team. They have put together the right system, and I think that really can show that they can be a really good team this year. Are they necessarily an NBA Finals candidate? Uh, maybe not yet, but potentially down the road. They can potentially be that team. 76ers sitting at fifth, as well as the Knicks at six right now. Pacers followed by the Heat. Uh, right now, all those top eight teams above 500, where that cusp gets cut for the nine through 15 seeds. And right now, the Pistons are not last, ladies and gentlemen. We are ahead of the Hornets. 12 and 33 total um, our winning percentages of now the Hornets sitting at 11 and 32. And I think when now when you look at the Pistons, um, especially for those that are interested, because obviously we're a Michigan-based show and a fair state specific, the most of the team uh, that people root for around here is Detroit. There, I think there needs to be a change that occurs. I'm not exactly sure what that change is. We talked to a couple of buddies about this, and I think that there just needs to be a change of some sort. The loss of Kate Hurt, we know that, obviously. But this team is still better than they're playing on the floor. And I think that there needs to be something schematically that changes a little bit. Right now, Bohan Bogdanovich has played phenomenal basketball. And there's a reason he's going to be on the trade rumor mark all the way up until the trade deadline and potentially gets dealt. I think fans need to actually prepare for Bohan getting dealt because for what he's doing with this team right now is phenomenal. But we needed him back with Cade. We needed him back with a full roster that was healthy. uh, And we needed him to not necessarily have that big of a load um, as he's putting on right now, because obviously that depletes his level just a little bit, and that would help us to keep us more around. But for really having Cade go down, he's been the primary scorer in a lot of these games, and he's showing out now. A lot of teams are interested. That could lead him to getting a really juicy offer on the other side that Troy Weaver's going to have to take. I think we have to prepare for that. But Jalen Duran, I think, is a stud, and I think he will definitely find his way to play more minutes here and here out. Him playing with Isaiah Stewart is a very interesting idea that maybe that I think needs a little bit more time for experimentation, especially considering that Stu can shoot it a little bit. He showed it. I hate the fact that he shoots uh, potentially seven threes a game as a big, but in this game of basketball, I kind of got to get over it, but I think Jalen Duran brings you a lot of potential. He's a really raw, fantastic player uh, that really, I think Penny did a great job with at Memphis that I think is really NBA ready um, for well how well he's been playing. And I think he's going to get even better as the season goes on. Uh, Alec Burks finally getting him back. He's still trying to figure out his rhythm uh, after being injured throughout the, uh, the majority of that first part of the season. And you got obviously Sadiq Bey, who's been up and down shooting wise. Jaden Ivey's kind of going through some of the rookie slumps, but he could still be a really good contributor to us. And you got to give it time for these guys to develop. We can see. I think that's just the, the the issue now that I actually say that out loud. Giving it time to have these guys necessarily develop is great, but as long as it's being done the right way. And that's almost what I'm considering is this team being kind of built. I think it's being built the right way, but is it necessarily the best way? I think now that I'm actually thinking out loud here, and this is completely off my train of thought here uh, on the show as opposed to some of my notes, I think you have to see now, is there a way that we can choreograph this team that can be in a different scheme that can make a lot of these developmental players necessarily, I would say, less pressured? And I, because I think the biggest thing for Jaden Ivey, I think Jaden Ivey has done some good things so far this year. I think he's still going to get better. I think he feels the pressure of being that number four overall pick. I think he feels the pressure of not having to take Cade's spot. And I think he's done a good job with that in some games, but you can definitely tell when he plays sometimes, and especially early in the season, maybe not necessarily as of late, but there's still been some times you see it where he might be going a little bit too hard and trying to make too much stuff happen. Is that what you want a rookie to develop as? Or do you want him to kind of get uh, just very comfortable in limited amount of time and then just increase that time? That's what I'm almost wondering. And that's why the number one thing that I'm wondering is do we need a coaching change? I think Dwayne Casey's a great coach. I think he's a great players coach. I think he's got great relationships with a lot of the guys in the locker room. But is it necessarily time to maybe bring in a new face and kind of change some things up that could spark this rebuild a little bit? Because I think 
I mean, we have a lot of good talent on this team. But when you see now with a lot of these other teams that have really taken off, a.k.a. like Indiana has been a really good team with a lot of their young talent there with Tyrese Halliburton and that crew, they've played really good. But now you have, so you have the Pacers, for example. The Knicks have started to buy their way into some, uh, with some young, to, to kind of buy in some veterans to support the younger guys, kind of similar to we do. They're six, we're 14. I don't think Jalen Brunson is the difference of eight spots in the standings. But then you have some of these other teams that you can just tell that are kind of on their way down and don't have necessarily the young talent, but they're still winning more games. The Wizards, for example, even the Hawks with minus Trey Young, they still have a lot of young players there. Yako Kongwu, the guy that played with the Ball Brothers and Chino Hills, he's been playing uh, not necessarily up to his standards as much uh, as you would like to have saw when you necessarily saw he was drafted. But you have a lot of these young teams that are still finding a way to win games. Is that because of the system? as much as it is the talent. And that's what I'm wondering. I think our talent's through the roof, but do we need to fix our scheme a little bit? That's what I think we need to do. And if that necessarily doesn't work, or if they never change the scheme, then maybe it's time to make a coaching change up top. I think that there's a lot of people that support Dwayne Casey. I was a guy that definitely thought Dwayne Casey was a great hire. Uh, but I think right now where we're at, I think that's only, I think you can only make excuses for one more year is what I'm saying. I think throughout the rest of this year, I think next year, if we have a great pick, and especially if we get Vic, if we get Victor Wimbonyang, and we can play with them, Jay Nivey, Kate, Cade Killian playing better, Sadiq, Jalen, Isaiah, both Isaiahs, I should say, and you still end up 16 and 33 by the end of halfway through that season. I think it might be time. I think it, I think you have to make that consideration um, for how much talent that team has, that there is something within the scheme, within the coaching, within something that needs to change quick, fast, and in a hurry because we can't go through this reload uh, for many years upon the time. Look where the Red Wings are at. They're over 500. Stevie Wise got them on the right track. Lions, Dan Campbell, Brad Holmes, already a two-year turnaround. It's taking the Pistons three years. Is this... Are we going to keep waiting or are we going to go? That's what something has to occur for this team to start getting wins. And I think people are starting to get a little impatient on this Pistons team as much as I am uh, for them to start winning basketball games. So whatever that is, I know there's an excuse that Cade's out this year. I know he's a major part of what the scheme is behind. But, oh, wait a minute. Oh, okay. So we need now to try to get Jay Nivey in that spot. Is that what you're saying? I don't think that's necessarily the answer that probably Dwayne Casey's thinking. And I think we need to find a way to get, maybe it even is to have Killian play a little bit more of the point. Maybe you bring in Kojo for a couple more minutes a game, which I'm not thrilled about for, uh, but I think he's a really good glue guy. I think he's a really good glue guy. He's not as much of a dynamic player as a lot of people say talent-wise, but I think he's still a really good solid player. Uh, but I think there needs to be a change schematically. I think that's what the Pistons need moving forward here for the rest of the NBA season. Uh, anyway, quickly going over through the Western Conference, through those that are interested. Uh, definitely, no doubt, the Nuggets have been a really good team so far. The Grizz both tied at the top as well. Got to see John Morant in person uh, when I took my trip down to Motown. Yeah, that guy's a legit basketball player. He's going to be an absolute superstar in this league for years to come. Pelicans, followed by the Mavs with Luka. Uh, Kings, Clippers, Suns, Warriors round out the five through eight slots. And a lot of familiar names that have slipped down quite a bit. Lakers, 13 right now. Trailblazers, 11. Uh, with Dame, as well as the Jazz sitting at nine, the T Wolves, a playoff T Wolves team last year, they're sitting at ten right now, ten and twenty, excuse me, twenty and twenty-two, just about ten games out from the top spot. I think you start to see a little bit of urgency within Los Angeles. I'll say it right now. I think you might necessarily see a couple changes kind of be occurring, um, potentially. Maybe it even is getting close to time when we see LeBron go to another franchise. I'll just throw that out right now as a crazy idea. Could you imagine if he made that move? And with a lot of these teams where they're at so far with personnel, boy, going to be a crazy offseason. But anyway, finishing out the show here. Thanks for all tuning in. Make sure you subscribe and follow if you love this show. And if you love this episode, you're going to love it when you get back with me and Joe. And especially with a lot of the great things coming up. Uh, certainly a lot of great things on deck coming up with this show. And we thank you guys for all of that, including potential live streams coming up soon. We're still figuring out those things uh, as well as new guests coming on the show. Got some great ones already slated for you. And I'm going to tell you what, you're going to love some of these interviews we have planned uh, with some of these personnel. But anyway, finishing out NFL playoffs begins. Wild card round's going to be a really fun weekend of football starting on Saturday at 4.30. 49ers 
hosting the Seahawks. Uh, as far as the predictions are, I'll make some I'll make some game predictions as well, um, just to see uh, necessarily where we're at as far. Um, as just keeping that train going. I know I will maybe we'll submit Joe's picks and we'll compare um, and I'll make sure I'll verify him here before the games kick off. But 49ers at the Seahawks. Uh, I'm going to root against the Seahawks as much as I can because uh, they screw the Lions. But uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, I think the Seahawks are a good team. I do think they'll still lose regardless. So I think the Niners are a Super Bowl contender. I think they're that good, even with Brock Purdy. That defense, Demeco Ryans, is one of the most underrated quarter coordinators in the league and should be the most recognized coordinators in the league and is certainly going to be in the head coaching uh, interview process for a lot of these teams coming up soon. But I think the 49ers will win this game. I think defensively, I think they're going to slow down the Seahawks offense, which has really kind of kept them in a lot of these games. Defense has been playing well. I don't think the Seahawks have the capability. I know they have some really good corners, obviously, with uh, Brian as well as Woolen. But I think you look at where that team is at defensively. I don't think they have the arsenal uh, of players to lock down a lot of these good players like Debo, Brandon Ayuk, Christian McCaffrey, George Kittle. I think that's just too much to handle for them offensively. So what are they going to do offensively to counteract? Kenneth Walker should be the rookie of the year. Are they going to be pounding the ground a lot? Or are they going to try to do it through the year with DK, Tyler... Uh, Tyler Lockett, excuse me, DK Metcalf and Geno Smith. I think that's the route that they're going to try to go. But that 49ers secondary will make plays when that off that defensive line gets pressure. I don't think it's a question of, well, I guess that is the what's going to be the determining factor. I don't know if the Seahawks offensive line is going to be able to hold that 49er pass rush. I don't know if it's going to happen. I don't think it's going to happen. But if they do, they have a chance. But if they don't, like I think is going to happen, I think the 49ers are going to get after Geno Smith. They're going to get him flustered. I think the Niners will win this game. Uh, I'll mark down a final score here. 31-23, to Niners going to win at home, and they advance next week um, for round two of the postseason. Next game on Saturday, 8-15 on NBC and Peacock. Charters at the Jaguars. Can you believe that the Jaguars have made it this far, man? I feel I feel happy for them. They feel like the Lions of the AFC. So I, I'm kind of rooting for them a little bit. And I think I think this is a game, arguably, that if the Chargers lose, that could be the end of Brandon Staley. I think it could be. Just the way that that's, this season has gone, it's been a little underwhelming. They've battled some injuries, I know. But I think just the overall offensive play hasn't been very good enough for how well this offense should be. They're number eighth overall, I believe, statistically. I mean, their passing attack is great, but I think their defense has been a little underwhelming as well. And I think the rushing attack for um, the Chargers has been pretty abysmal. I think right now the Jaguars could be a team um, I think that could win this game. I don't know if I'm just going to pick them as of yet. I'm going to talk out my thoughts here just for a second here to see if that drives a true opinion of mine because I think it's going to be a close game. I think it's going to be a close game regardless, but... Uh, I think with Trevor Lawrence, I know I read a stat the uh, the other day that said he has not lost a Saturday game, college, high school, or pro, I believe, as of yet. Uh, this Is this the first one? I don't know. This is also at TIA Bank Field in Jacksonville, even though the Chargers have a better record uh, and I think are ahead of them as far as in the power rankings, I, but it's still a road game. And I think the Jaguars could be a team that upsets the Chargers, but I think I'm going to pick the Chargers because I think Brandon Staley's coaching for his job. And I think the Jaguars have been playing really well, but I think the Chargers offense isn't, I think this is the game that the Chargers defense has to step up. I think the offense won't have any problems getting up 20 points, but I think this is a game the defense steps up. And I think they forced a lot of turnovers against the Jacksonville Jaguars uh, offense. I think Doug Peterson might have a little bit of trouble. Um, And this is a game that Brandon Staley needs to win. I think it has to be. I'm going to take the Chargers in a close one. I think this final will be 34 to 28. Chargers beat the Jaguars to move on in the second round. Next game, oh, this one's great. Dolphins at the Bills starting on Sunday, 1 o'clock on CBS. I think the Bills will win this game. I think that they need to win this game. I think the whole world's going to be rooting for them to win this game. I think the whole DeMars Hamlin situation, I think, um, is going to spark a lot of fan base for this Bills team, as it should. I think that so much support for the Bills has been absolutely fantastic. I know for me personally, just seeing all that has been really like just eye-opening to me. But outside of that, the Bills overall have been the more consistent team. They've been the team that certainly has more health coming into this game. The Dolphins are probably going to be playing with Skylar Thompson at quarterback. I think that's a big red flag for the Dolphins. I think you still have the ability to get Tyreek Hill. Uh, you still have a lot of these uh, really good players that you can get uh, with the Jeff Wilsons, Raheem Mostert, that so you can get them touches, Mike Jacecki as well. But I think you have to have the ability to use the deep ball. 
as well. Getting Gene Lenoir in that mix as well. Almost forgot his name. If they can't get the ball moving downfield, Bills are going to just keep bringing pressure. They're going to keep pushing you off the line of scrimmage backwards and backwards. You're going to have to start either running the ball or you're going to have to start throwing in these jet sweeps, all of these sort of things, which they haven't done a whole lot of this year. So I think that's going to bring them problems. I think the Bills, um, with their ability to run the ball, both in the backfield and from the quarterback scramble spot with Josh Allen, uh, I think they're going to have no problems getting away from that Dolphins secondary. I think the Bills will win this game, but I think it'll be a little less to the core, less uh, low, or I think it'll be more low scoring, less high scoring than I think a lot of people think. I think it's going to be like 24-17 the final. Uh, the Bills beat the Dolphins. Next game on deck here. We'll wrap these things up a little bit quicker here so we can get you guys out of here to a great weekend. Uh, Giants against the Vikings. I think this is an upset game. I think this could be a game the Vikings lose, but I think I'm going to have to trust the Vikings as of now. I'm not totally sure if this is a game I want to pick the upset for because I think it's going to be, it's one of those situations where it's like, you know this game should be an upset. It's going to be the one everyone picks as an upset, the Giants being the Vikings. But it's almost like it's too good. It makes too much sense on paper. I think that this could be a game that the Vikings win, uh, but I think next week they'll have problems with whichever team they play, whether it's the Buccaneers as far as in the trenches, I think would throw them off. I think the Cowboys have uh, the ability to really move the ball as long as their offense is fine, but I'll get to that here in just a minute. I think that this could be a game um, I think that the Vikings will squeak out of. I think the Giants are going to throw a lot of wrenches at him. I think Brian Dable is making himself a coach of the year kind of game. I think this is one of those kind of games where if you can beat Kevin O'Connell, I think that that can be uh, a potential situation that he could win himself the award by winning this game. I think that would be, if he can slow down that Vikings offense just enough here and, and get out with a win, I think that just shows you how great this Giants defense can be. And I think right now, when you look at the Vikings, you got to move the ball on the ground with Dalvin Cook or play action doesn't work. That's big issue 1A. Um, they're going to be heavily, heavily shading Justin Jefferson. So this is going to have to be an Adam Thielen, KJ Osborne, TJ Hawkinson type of attack if you're going to want to move the ball on the Giants, which they're going to try to pressure you. Wing Barndale's going to blitz you. You know he's going to blitz you. So how are you going to react to that? You're going to get the play action game going. You're going to get the screens out to Dalvin Cook. You're going to spread it out over the short screen pass on the outside. How are they going to do that? Because the Giants are going to throw a lot of pressure at them. The Vikings aren't going to have as much time to work with as they normally do. How do they respond to that? I think they just do enough to get the job done. I think the Vikings win 27-24 over the Giants and move on to next week. Uh, next game, Bengals at the Ravens. This one at Cincinnati at Paul Brown. I believe that's actually where they played the last game uh, of the regular season. So right back to where they started uh, from last week at 8-15 on NBC. Uh, I'll keep this one quick. Lamar Jackson has a play. Ravens don't win. It's it's hard for me to get on track with the Ravens. Uh, I think Anthony Brown has been put in a spot that's really tough because this is a playoff caliber team. This is a playoff bound team, obviously. But I think this is just a team that's just not quite... It, it, it needs that spark offensively. It starts with the quarterback. Lamar Jackson makes this offense that much more lethal. And they need to pay him if they want to keep him. That's the fact here. This is more than just an injury for, to Lamar Jackson. This is going to be an offseason where he finds out the commitment of Baltimore. The city of Baltimore the Ravens organization, and the players especially. I think that's going to be what happens with this game. Because if you win this game without Lamar, and you can make a playoff run without Lamar, are they going to keep Lamar? I don't know. That's what's going to have to be. But I don't think that with the Bengals' defense playing as underrated as they've played, Joe Burrow and that offense would have no problem, I think, against the Ravens. Ravens will bring pressure. They're going to be good in coverage. But I think you're still going to have enough big plays from T. Higgins and Jamar Chase. I think Joe Mixon's going to make a move on the ground. And he's going to keep the Ravens guessing as far as rushing attack. I think the Bengals still win this game. I think they're going to win this game. Uh, final 28-20 to 20 over the Ravens, I think. I don't think I picked that score. No, 28-20 uh, over the Ravens. I think they'll move on. They'll win two in a row. Uh, and the Bengals will move on next week. Final game, Monday Night Football. Cowboys at Buccaneers. Here's my upset. Bucks beat the Cowboys, and here's why. Dak and that offense have been stagnant as a snail, as a void. It was really bad against Washington. Washington had nothing to play for, but just their pride. And they trounced the Cowboys. Now the Cowboys got to go on the road to Raymond James. It doesn't matter how bad the Buccaneers played last week against Atlanta, even though that kind of contradicts what I just said. But here's why that's a difference. Cowboys were playing for a number one seed, right? 
they could have gotten in without with obviously the Eagles one that wouldn't have mattered, but they had to give themselves a chance. But the Bucs didn't have to play for anything. They already had their seed locked up. They knew they were going to be the four seed. They knew they had already clinched it. They didn't have anything else to play for. So they worked on different things with Tom and other personnel. This is the number two passing offense. The defense for the Cowboys hasn't been great recently. They're only ranked 13 statistically, but if you ask, they're worse than 13 as far as any analyst is concerned. I think the Buccaneers win this game. I think this needs to be a bounce back game for guys like Leonard Fournette I think this has to be a game where you get those running backs, uh, you get them moving the trenches a little bit. And you look back at week one, this was a game where they played at AT&T and the Bucs beat them 19-3. to 19-3! And now I think the Buccaneers aren't necessarily as much of a better team, but I think Dallas could be a potential worse team than where they were in week one. I think this is a game that you have to imagine that Tom Brady has to win um, to really keep his playoff hopes alive this final season. But Dak Prescott's got to play a whole lot better if he wants to give his team a chance, which coming off of last week playing on the road, I think the Buccaneers are going to bring pressure. I think they're going to really establish themselves in the trenches, prevent Zeke to run the ball. And it's going to have to be a Tony Pollard type of game or a CeeDee Lamb type of game where they need to get those guys out in space and let them work, especially on those short concepts, getting them slants, Ohio concepts out to the outside, getting them picks up four or five yards at a time just to get momentum going because I don't think they're going to get it on the ground because, I mean, you saw that offense, 27 attempts, 64 rushing yards. That's 2.4 yards per carry for the Cowboys they had in that week against Washington. So they're going to have to figure it out. Or if not, Bucks are going to send them home. And I think they will. 17-14 final score. The Cowboys end their season with a pretty much another disappointing game. I think Dak could throw two interceptions in this game, especially for how many interceptions he's already thrown with bad decisions. I think Tom Brady will take his team to victory and will march on in the NFL playoffs. Let me know your picks, and we'll certainly see how they turn out next week. Thank you for tuning in. Make sure you subscribe, follow on our YouTube as well as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you find this podcast as well. It's all the future platforms coming soon. I'll be sure to keep in the deets as we continue to figure those out. Big thanks to everybody that made the show possible. Bulldog Radio, Anchor as well as all the the ISI folks here that helped us use the studio, as well as the MEBA organization for kind of organizing this whole collaboration as well with Bulldog Radio. Uh, we thank all those that made this possible because we certainly are creating better podcasts, and it's all because of you guys and your support for helping us build this show. But I'm Brandon Wirtz signing off. We'll see all you next week with Joe alongside me. Until then, take care, everybody.